Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of 2008 of Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. We're serious about the silly and silly about the serious. Apparently, we're the interwebs only saying collective, dropping science so you can pick it back up again. Uh, my name's Sarah. I'm joined today by Tom Ewing, Kat Stevens, Magnus Anderson, and Eli Sessions is doing the knobs. Tonight, we're going to be getting down and dirty with international pop and asking the question, should we be scared of what we don't understand? We'll also hear Tom on the real love that dare not speak its name, and then Magnus will hopefully give us some tips on how to survive such a menace. Where we go from there can only be the filthy chicken of the, sh of the soul. Jean-Paul Sartre said hell is other people, apparently, but frankly I think it's been taken over by dirty fried chicken. But well, it will be by the time I get there anyway. Anyway. Now I'm sure all our listeners are gathered round their Cat's Whisker Crystal set, having listened to our previous show, which also featured Cat and Tom, and was entitled The Trouble with Pop. Amongst the points raised were a few issues surrounding international pop, which I found quite interesting. Because, well, since I was a young'un, I've developed a filthy habit myself of, of listening to lots of pop music performed in a language which I don't speak. Started off with Welsh punk rockers, then it moved on to French filth via Serge Gainsbourg, then some Spanish weepy melancholia, then, well, I'm afraid now it's all about the Japanese sequin gay pirate roadkill, Finnish battle metal, <laughs> and Chinese rhythm and blues about how much said rhythm and blues performer loves their mum. They love their mum a great deal. Oh, that's lovely. I think that like, is good. Like that? <laughs> no, no, in a very nice sense. Like, you should, you know, listen to what they say, and you should do your washing and keep There's your room tidy, that a, sort of thing. about that, called what? Our Number One Fan, in which our number one fan turns out to be <laughs> their mum. Aww, how charming. Which I think most bands can probably say that when they're, um, when they're starting out. I think the grandparents might be a bit offended by that. Oh, well, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. But I, I don't know why I like the international pop so much. I don't know if it's whether I just... I'd, maybe I don't like the expectation that when it's a native language song that I have to listen to the lyrics, like they're an extra stage, that, that I have to comprehend that as well as comprehending the subtle music tapestry that's going on underneath. Maybe you're kind of anti-xenophobic. You know, you hate your own language. Oh, no, I'm a self-hating English speaker. Oh. God, what a disaster. I blame English language A-level for that. Oh, well, never mind. Um, so, um, we're going to go straight into a mucky song now. If Eli can hit us up, uh, this song is called Ha Ha. I have nothing better to do. I do whatever you do. Like a pattern in the night 
Thank you for me. Oh, wasn't that wonderful? It, it was kind of kind of unsettling. Oh, I really like it. Was, it. it was unsettling because I assumed it was about something really disgusting <laughs> that you're about to tell us. We oh. were bopping away, and actually, it's about like camel sex. Or something. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no that's that's the next one of those song. editions I'm not going to be able to give to my mum. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I'm, yes. No. 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 This one. This one isn't dirty <laughs> so much in that sense. Um, that song, by the way, was "Ha Ha," performed by Jin Akinishi, who's currently in a Japanese boy band called Cartoon, who I'm sort of obsessed with. Is Jin on your husband list? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> what what husband list? Uh, I, I'm not going to comment further. Anyway, continue. Rio Nikoshido, you're number one. Just in case you're listening to Resonance tonight. Um, anyway, That's I put number one on your husband list, isn't it? <laughs> yes. What of it? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, I thought you might understand that one because quite a few of the lyrics are in English. And the, my favourite thing about this guy is that he went well. He went out to Los Angeles to study English for quite a while. Well, study English, we say. Uh, is that in inverted commas? Well, who knows why he went out there? I'm not going to speculate on the radio. It was probably to study. Um, but ever since then, he seems to be writing more and more lyrics himself. So he wrote the lyrics to that song. So, um, but he's been—he's gone on record as saying that he's that his favourite type of music is foreign hip hop. But um, unfortunately, he seems to be more and more leaning towards the DJ assault sort of <laughs> lyrical level of foreign hip hop, rather than just nice stuff about how much you like your mum, like J. Chu. Fair enough. Yeah, and also, yeah, he tries to be a bit gangster, but he's recently been photographed in a cardigan which features a nice knitted elk across the top. So he's about <laughs> as gangster as, you know, nice flocked wallpaper with some ducks over the top. That's you know. what BJ Assault has in his... In his <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? We must not speak of such things. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. <laughs> no, I, I do really do like that song. Um, but it's, it's, it's dirty in the sort of typical boy band way but i'm a bit confused by it because there's there's so much in is, english in it. when you say the typical boy band way is that like outside it's raining but inside it's wet <laughs> or, or, <laughs> i want it that way no i i don't like it when i hear you say that you want it that way but i want it that way of course <laughs> steady on yeah. I, I was thinking more of the sort of another level freak me way of dirty oh the licking there's yeah. the picking going on there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, up and down. Oh. It would be all right, but Dane Bowers. Oh. <laughs> this is so dispiriting. I always used to assume when people were talking in a language I couldn't understand that they were saying something terribly clever and profound. And I'm disillusioned. Well, maybe the Japanese language parts of that song, which obviously I don't understand and I haven't looked up, are, you know, I don't know, some ancient proverbs and words of wisdom. Or further maths. That's quite hard. And <laughs> <laughs> is it? He's expanding a theorem in Japanese and yeah. punctuating it with English with, with, with go club, get drunk, you stupid <laughs> censored word. If maths is a language, what are its swear words? Uh, oh, <laughs> X times Y. <laughs> X slash Y. Oh, it's Does not numbers. equal. <laughs> Does not equal, indeed. Um, well, what, what, what time is it? How are we for time? We could have another um, sort of yeah, song, which is, more, which is dirty part. in a sort of different way a bit more of a, a disturbing way i think more um, disturbing well i'm gonna let's just listen to it for a little bit and then just see what sort of song you think it is
でもうちょっともうちょっとほんのあとちょっとあとちょっと秘密のパラダイス見せてくれベイベー That's more than enough of that sort of nonsense.、Uh, this song I have problems pronouncing.、Um, Chiri Ramazu, I believe.、Uh, this is on the new news album, which is a very annoying thing to say.、Um, what, what sort of thing do you think that song's about? Well, it sounds to me like it's about a beautiful flower. Oh, oh isn't that nice? It's very jaunty, isn't it? The、yeah. sort of song that's going to get stuck in your head. A lovely, a lovely flower that's opening to show its. Glory to the world. I think I see where you're going with this one, Kat. Do you know what I detected? <laughs> what's, what's that, Magnus? Enthusiasm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're very keen on whatever it is they're singing about.、Oh, what did you think, Tom? I, I thought it was probably about their mum. <laughs> <laughs> you're really going to regret saying that, I reckon.、Um, well, the title of the song translates to Peep Show. Okay, so which, it could be about some, a TV programme,、uh, you know, a, a comedy. Some, some might comedy. say comedy.、Yeah. Um, I'm going to read you some, some translated lyrics. Well, I'm having to trust the translator here because, frankly, I don't know.、Um, anyway, it's Hey Girl, It's a Peep Show. I like it because we're male. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a bit of, well, maybe some ladies will like it as well. No,、um, it's quite male orientated humour. It, it is a little bit.、Um, but other, well, other things I pointed out about this song, but we should probably move on from the filth fairly soon. Is that、um, whilst they're singing this song,、uh, the other members of the band are cycling round the stage on mini little bicycles.、Aww. And、uh, apart from the lead singer, who's actually、um, on a scooter. <laughs> 
Ah. Mm, yeah. Perhaps that will tie into something that's coming along later in the show. Faster, harder, scooter. <laughs> <laughs> but now, what, the, what were they actually singing about then? You can't tease us like that. Yeah, but about, about uh, well, about peeping and it being a bit like a show. Um, basically, it's looking up ladies' skirts <gasps> at their pants. Um, My God. It's, okay, more sample lyrics. It's almost shown but still hidden behind the borderline. The borderline. When you change your crossed, slim and beautiful legs, we can't stop paying attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the worst line before I think we should move on to a song there picked by Tom is, um, show me your innocent white one between your thigh, baby. <laughs> this is a teen boy, boy band. Uh, they're meant to appeal to... Well, you know, young girls. I mean, what young girl would listen to this and think, oh, great, these are the boys for me. A liberated one. Oh, possibly. <laughs> the people who sing this are a bit strange anyway. I do love them, but yeah, they're a bit odd. Shall we have Tom's song now? By, um, that's by Soda Stereo, and it's called Juego de Seducción, which what means... What could that mean? It means Game of Seduction. Ooh. And the reason I picked it, apart from that it's filthy and foreign, but I haven't dared look up the, um, the lyrics in case they're about upskirts. <laughs> um, <laughs> the reason is that what I'm going to talk about is a uh, hitherto taboo subject, which is uh, sex in role-playing games. In no! Games like Dungeons and Dragons, which I used to play as a youth, hence Game of Seduction. Uh-huh. Um, now, the basic thing is it's, it's sex in role-playing games is always going to be a difficult issue. Surely there isn't any. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> role-playing games are two things. They're escape it. They're, they're played by adolescent boys, which is your first key fact. They're played by grown men now as well. 
but <laughs> at the time I played them, I was an adolescent boy, and so were all the other people who played them. And uh, the point of them is two things. There's escapism, but there's also wish fulfillment. And the difficult thing is that sex is basically something you're trying to escape from, the kind of terrible, scary world of girls and... And bits. they're innocent white things. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and stuff and feelings and body change. The Smiths. Um, but then also it's, it's a part of wish fulfillment in that, you know, if you're trying to kind of self-actualise as a kind of mighty, muscular, barbarian, warrior, or whoever, wandering round, um, one of the things that mighty, muscular, barbarian warriors do is they have loads and loads of nookie. And but surely or, that know. gets in the way of slaying orcs and the like. Well, that's what they do afterwards. They come home and it's like, you know, you've, you've won the Honey, I've killed or, an orc. Or, or carried off an orc maiden. Well, probably not an orc maiden. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an orc maiden. Um, so the situation that you oh. find yourself in, refereeing a role-playing game, the situation you'd find yourself in would be, it, it would tend to go like this. The players would arrive and they'd be <clears throat> sort of like, OK, well, you go to a tavern. So I said, all oh, right, we're in the tavern. And then one of the players would say, oh, is, is the barmaid sexy? <laughs> and you go, yeah, uh -oh. as, the, as the referee. And then it's like, right, I seduce her. And at, <laughs> at this spell. point, is yeah. That, is there a spell for Well, there, there might be a spell for it. But at this point, as a referee, either you have the option of, you know, your job as a referee is to, is to play all the characters who the players come into contact. So if they meet an evil wizard, you have to go, ha-ha, I am the evil wizard. And if they meet, like, a, a friendly old man, you go, oh, there ain't been no dungeon here for 40 years. <laughs> and so you have one of your choices is to role-play the barmaid and kind of attempt to be flirty with your mate, who is similarly kind of spotty and greasy as you, sitting across the table. <laughs> and obviously that isn't an option. So what you actually do is you go, okay, make a seduction roll. And so people roll the dice, and it's like, all <laughs> oh, right, she slaps you in the face. Phew. Or, yeah, I got a six. So oh. you have to roll the dice, and the options are she slaps you in the yeah, face. Yeah, or, or like, you know, you make up the options very quickly. Or it's like, okay, you, you, you go to bed with her and have sex. There right. was a very confused expression on Eli's face when you said make a seduction roll. And I wonder if, in his mind, he had this idea that you'd be rolling on the floor in order to seduce. He was, he was probably thinking, no, those weren't the rules. <laughs> <laughs> um... And, and games actually kind of sort of slowly adapted. Dungeons & Dragons started off, one of, the, one of the statistics you'd have as a player, as well as strength and intelligence, you'd have a thing called charisma, which was like charisma, you know, how <laughs> commanding you were, but also included how good-looking you were. But then after a bit, the, the, the inventor of Dungeons & Dragons split this out and invented a new statistic called comeliness. <laughs> which would be how fit you were so you could be like really ugly but but not very and and there was no use for this in the game at all hold on but what if your character was say a goblin who's traditionally quite ugly by well, well definition well, I, I, or an I, orc I, I or did you all have to play sort of conan the barbarian style i mean labs? you didn't have to no you didn't have to but you, you could play other things you could play half half orcs you could play who are the offspring of a human and an orc which brings me to the other thing which is that as you'd expect from a game where the referee is called the Dungeon Master, there's this enormous kind of pit of alternative sexuality happening underneath oh, the sort no. of slightly... <laughs> is this for the more grown-up Dungeons & Dragons player? Yeah. <laughs> for the kind of un underneath the, you know... The World of Warcraft people, maybe. What, what the adolescent boys think they're, they're, they're fantasising about and wish-fulfilling. There's this kind of brooding pit of xenosexuality where all these different fantasy races are banging one another and and breeding and some of the players are playing women as well so there's this it's quite a kind of intensely 
But we should specify that there are no actual women involved in no, this well, there might, ever. There might be ever, actual women. Ever. Ah. The, the ah, only actual... Ah. Does Magnus have something to contribute? Well, there, there's a has story Magnus, which I wasn't Has Magnus done his time? <laughs> 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 but um, uh, since, obviously, this programme will have corrupted anyone listening to it by now anyway. Um, uh, one person in my school came back from a live roleplay. I went to an all-boys school and announced that he'd had his way with a lady whilst, <gasps> whilst on his trip. And he gathered his, uh, his uh, like-spotted friends around him in order to tell this story. And we were agog. And there, there was a bit of prestige about him having done this at such a tender age. And uh, he opened by saying, I got a very good role. And it turned out <laughs> that him pulling this person had happened entirely in the form of a conversation, some dice roll. Oh. It's kind of like being a pen pal. <laughs> a, a lucky pen pal. I, well, I was thinking it sounds a, a bit sort of fun sexy. But except you're sitting opposite your, your spotty, creasy mate. <laughs> what do you have to do it at the time? Maybe you just hold up a bit of paper between their face and yours. Uh, with an appropriate picture on the other side. Yeah, yeah or, or sort of do it like a kind of game of consequences. <laughs> but I, I got thinking about this because I was reading a, a, a fantasy novel um, called The Prince of Nothing. Cool. Over the <laughs> emo. Over the very emo, um, over the period. And, and, and fantasy novels have tried to move away from this kind of, like, awkward sexuality. Um, and they're now much more sort of full-blown about having lots of sex, lots of, of, of relationships and, and, and sort of sexual themes in their novels. And um, really, like, in-your-facely so in this case, to the point where you suspected there was a bit of overcompensating going on, in that the villains appear to be demons who've been exiled for their dimension for their carnal lust. <laughs> <laughs> and one of, them, one of them has sex with one of the lead characters, and it turns out that his spunk is black, so you know that he's a demon. <laughs> So, and this you're reading this thinking, appalling. this is terrible. <laughs> Never have I felt less like a grown man when, <laughs> when reading a book. Anyway, I then looked on Amazon and one of the reviewers said, yes, this scene is particularly powerful. So clearly, <laughs> well, powerful's one clearly, way it's, it. clearly it's working, but, but oh, obviously okay. in, in, you know, more one-handed reading um, <laughs> might, be a, might have been a kind of way out of this back in the 80s. And there were, there were fighting fantasy books which, which touched upon um, oh, hold on, I read some fighting fantasy books in, in, in the old days when I was an innocent girl and that, this never happened. I, I well, can say that my, certainly my sexual awakening, if it ever happens, did not occur <laughs> <laughs> when I was reading Steve Jackson's uh, no, Starship Steve, Troopers Steve or whatever Jackson, it's called. Steve Jackson kept it clean, bless him. But there was a... Puffin did produce a book which was for older gamers um, called The Cretan Chronicles, which was set in ancient Greece and there was a... God, there that was is a, old. Yeah, there was a scene in that where... Um, where you, as a kind of Greek hero, got to, to bed a slave girl. Um, and it, it was very Mills and Booney about it. It was like, you know, you take her into your arms, turn to page whatever, so you go, oh my God, turn to page whatever. <laughs> and it's like, the next morning you wake up, dawn, dawn poking through the thing. Poking. The, the best example of this, the inventor of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Gary Gygax, wrote his own series of game books when this was a, a big fight called Sagard the Barbarian, in which you were a mighty few barbarian. And at one point... Um, you, Sagard, have, have rescued some woman, and it's kind of like, you know, you are sitting around the fire, her scent is alluring, do you sit closer, yes or no? And, like, if no, you know, nothing happens. If yes, you know, you sit closer, you know, do you draw her to you? Yes. And then it says, the next day you wake up with a sore head, all your gold is gone. This is what happens if you tarry with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Very valuable lesson. Okay, lesson learned, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> we hear you. I won't be doing that again. Oh, good heavens. I'm, I, I'm appalled by 
by, frankly, everything that you said, as always. Didn't you have some sort of survival tip? No, that, I'll, I'll, I'll possibly... From that book I was reading, there is a, a, a top survival tip, which should our topic turn to thoughts of survival. I might reveal <laughs> Well, it. I think it has to be survival, because, frankly, I don't know how I'm going to live after I've heard all of that appalling... <laughs> Would anybody else like to contribute something slightly a bit more coherent? No. <laughs> no, me neither. Can I talk about a song coming up? Yeah, that that would be better. Okay, well, I was very pleased to find this song because it was a brand new sound. What happened is I went on holiday to Barcelona and on television I saw some splendid young boys jumping up and down and they did a clever jump where they jump up about a foot and then bend their legs at the knees and then uh -huh. fall down again. That sounds it's, energetic. It, it was. It was very clever, very new. I want to know what you think of this. los labios de beberte a tragos largos pesadillas en tu armario restos de ti en la boca no se notates varios varios objetos de anticuario corazones en pelotas que puedan hacerse daño que puedo hacer si 137 horas después no recuerdas que soy solo lo que ves que puedo hacer que puedo hacer si ya no sé qué quiero de tus manos enredándose en mi pelo revolcarnos por el suelo cada vez que me tocas en boca y si te caes me cuelo como arena entre los dedos vuelvo a rellenar mi copa si te vas me parto en duelo ¿qué puedo hacer? si 137 horas después no recuerdas que soy solo lo que ves ¿qué puedo hacer? ¿qué puedo hacer? si ya no sé qué quiero despierto, si me agarro no me suelto, olvido ciertas cosas, me rozas, yo vivo en un cuento, existe eso te invento, 137 horas, cocinando fuego lento, ¿qué puedo hacer si 137 horas después no recuerdas que soy solo lo que ves? ¿Qué puedo hacer? ¿Qué puedo hacer si ya no sé qué quiero hacer? ¿Qué And there we have it, Magnus. That was your song. That was uh, 137 horas, or in Spanish, I think it might be Cientos Trienta y Siete. I did check, <laughs> but I forgot. <laughs> and that was Tom sneezing. So, yeah, I've never heard anything like that before. 
You think you go a long way with that sound, I think. Yeah, yeah I mean, there, there was a sort of a passion to it and energy, and they were so young. I know, they're capturing the spirit of the, the youth of today that I don't think anyone else has really managed. I really hope one of them doesn't want to be in a rubbish grunge band. <laughs> No, the Spanish Biffy Clyro should definitely <laughs> not um, appreciate those people. Um, hmm. So, so what, what, what do you take from that song, Magnus? Uh, what I take is that if I could take just one song with me when I had to flee <coughs> my home in order to survive after some kind of terrible event or disaster, it would be uh, 137 Auras by Death Botteos. Do you have a clue what the song's on about it? Uh, I'm sure it's survival tips if I learned it. Oh, if, if exactly. I can understand it. Well, 137 hours to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, certainly we do need some survival tips. Um, I, I need to know how to escape and throw myself under a bus after, after the last section, but I suspect that's probably not what you're talking about. But say, have you read any books where, where survival <laughs> might be a key feature? It's or funny maybe you should mention that. apocalyptic <laughs> events. <laughs> Um, well, the, what I was going to talk about is um, uh, I've got, come up with a kind of theory about people who do write this kind of, uh, of fiction. This fiction has sort of um, it's ballooned a bit recently, but it actually had a, another Sort of hated. apocalypse fiction, yeah, survival right. themes, it, like it, I Am Legend. Yes, I Am mm. Legend, and uh, lots of zombie movies and, and uh, the odd kind of uh, disease which will wipe people out, things like The Stand by Stephen King and so on. It actually had an, an earlier um, uh, sort of classic era, if you like, where a lot of British writers such as John Wyndham and a guy called Samuel Yowd, who wrote as John Christopher, um, uh, wrote a series of books. I mean, they became obsessed with this idea that something would happen to the world which would just uproot society. And as I started to read this, I began to suspect that they actually rather liked it, that they were, they were secretly hoping this would, this would really happen. So I gave some thought to this. What, what sort of thing? Well, um, the classic one, of course, is Day of the Triffids, where the population of the world goes blind. And uh, it just so happens that this coincided with uh, a period of extensive farming. Not, <laughs> not a period of extensive one-handed reading. <laughs> no, the Triffid has just appeared in the studio. <laughs> Tom, Tom is doing an uncanny. If only, if only mine were more popular on the radio, we'd have the language to describe this. <laughs> I can't, it's one-handed. <laughs> anyway. Surely that's more of a tripod. <laughs> Mm, well, Tripod's another fine classic example of uh, uh, a post-apocalyptic event, so a period of survival, and that, that was one of John Christopher's. He, he wrote a slew of them as well. Um, and the, the thing about these 50 ones is that they're all kind of quite cosy. And so the reason why I think they, they weren't too upset by the thought that it would happen is that, as well as them being fantasies, that they couldn't, couldn't really you know, worry about it happening too much, it didn't seem that bad afterwards. In fact, Brian Aldous had a go at them first by, calling, by coining the phrase cosy catastrophe and pointing out that there was a scene after most people had died in Day of the Triffids where they had a very pleasant meal. Aww. And, uh, and uh, if there was kind Gross of like Triffid a burger. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, that sounds quite nice, mm. making the best of things. Well, absolutely. And, and I think, really, people didn't confront how grim it would be after a terrible apocalyptic event uh, in, in the UK um, until uh, I, I see the big change as being uh, the event of a film that the BBC made in 1985 called Threads. Now, Threads is a movie which was intended to show just how terrible a nuclear war would be. You might think this is a bit of an academic point, 
to, to bang home. But apparently, there, there was sort of the suggestion in the 80s that uh, if there was a nuclear war, then it might be survivable and endurable and even winnable. Just get under your desk yeah, and, and, and write it out. <clears throat> it won't be that different to the last world wars we had, you know, and, and we got through them. And so uh, the guy who wrote it, Barry Hines, and, uh, and director Mick Jackson got together and, and created this film, which was, uh, I saw it when I was 11, and I was terrified. In fact, it's been proven by science since then to be the eighth most frightening thing of all time. Blimey. It's pretty bad. Did you build your own <laughs> bunker? In, in Bunkers would do no good <laughs> in a scenario. A point is all that two can score, and all the audience of the game would also be killed. Mm. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was going to be uh, an apocalypse for everyone. One of the things they indicated is that there would be uh, genetic mutations which would wipe out the human race. It was, it was going to be bad news. And so the, but, but they were doing this, I think, as, as a guise of an argument. So they're trying to explain that uh, a war wouldn't be winnable. It would be a disaster. And so in this instance, I think probably they were almost certain they didn't want this to happen. But they wanted to prove their point, and I think that was the thin end of the wedge. Mm, I was never really worried in war <laughs> games when, when you know, would you like a nice game of chess? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't think the computer had the guts to go through with it. Yeah, but Ferris Bueller would have had to borrow Cameron's dad's car anyway to, like, yeah. rescue them at the end of the day. Yeah, well, you're right. The, the thing I remember most about Threads is that um, we, we were shown it when it came out when I was 12, and the... The thing that I took from it was that the Russians, the most likely time for nuclear Armageddon was 8am British time, because that's 3am, um, or sort of, you know, 1am to 3am in the decision-making centres of the US, so it's when they're least prepared for, for nuclear apocalypse. Because um, they won't have made their mind up. Yeah, really and fine. so I would always attempt to sleep in past 8am and thus be late for school, <laughs> 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 under the pretext that I did not want to die. I prefer to be asleep when the bomb fell rather than have to live through the horror. I prefer to just die peacefully in my bed because I was convinced that the thread spoke true and also kind of handily. It meant I could be late for school. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I, I haven't seen Threads myself. Um, I suspect I would be too scared of it. I haven't seen The Ring either. I think I'd probably be too scared by that. I'm guessing there's no knitting in it. Or so Only the knitting together any... of burnt human flesh, yes. I imagine. Knitting on fire. I... How, how graphic is Threads? Um, it's, it's more that it's uh, perpetually grim rather than, than particularly graphic. There's a couple of minutes of the nuclear holocaust, but it's actually about 15 years afterwards and how society um, in, entirely deconstructs. Like EastEnders, then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, been grim for many no, years. Not that bad, obviously. Well, society is an endless market stall forever and ever <laughs> and ever. Yeah, that, that, that does sound quite horrendous, actually. Mm. I don't think I need to watch this film. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to watch mm. it either. So, so the point about Threads, you're saying, is that it really removed the idea that there was some way of survival. You just knew you were doomed after watching it. Well, I'd say that's one end of the spectrum, in that the people who made Threads were probably pretty adamant and absolutely honest in saying they didn't want this to happen. But I think there are some people who write survival fiction who actually secretly are very keen that it Would does happen. Would this be sort of pre or post threads, though? Um, oh, post threads. I think, I think there's... People so people who genuinely want nuclear disaster? Yeah, kind of. Although they... they Examples, please. Well, the not postman! <laughs> <laughs> you know, where um, Kevin Costner goes around give, mailing letters to people. That sounds like an interesting <laughs> film. I'd like to see that one. It, after the apocalypse. So it's a mm. bit harder. Yeah. Three hours of it, though. You get to know him well. <laughs> oh, um, I don't see films, me. Is well, that better or worse than Waterworld? 
Oh, I haven't. I haven't actually seen either, so I'm only judging this by clip shows of a hundred worst apocalyptic films ever. Well, Waterworld was, you know, decent fun. Well, there's an example of it. I was, think was it, is it post-apocalyptic or was it yeah, just an alternative what? universe, which is just a world of water? No, and it's post-apocalyptic. The ice caps have melted, and so there is water covering the world. It's not quite how it would happen, but it's what they suggest would happen. And and you got the impression there'd be a bunch of people who'd really dig the water skiing well, you get to I do. mean, the, the idea, isn't it, that it's, it's yes, the, the weak. It's a kind of Darwinian fantasy of, like, yeah. yeah, the weak will be wiped out by this terrible event, and me and my mate will be the strong who will survive, <laughs> which, like, the slightest bit of self-reflection on the part of any of these kind of middle-class <laughs> spectacled authors would surely lead them to believe that they would not be the privileged few who would survive in this Darwinian horror world. Yeah, it's absolutely moral grandstanding, that point of view. I mean, it's sort of like a fake history written by a fake victor of that history. So what they're doing is they're saying that um, it's an absolute nonsense that what you haven't done is prepared for a zombie plague around the world. And that we, if you had, then, like I'm going to, then you'd be... <laughs> of course. Well, one thing, like, you say that it's... Um, a case of whether you can survive or not but there is like some cases where uh, the apocalypse means that life is actually better afterwards as in mm. like um, in the wonderful children's serial uh, Australian children's serial The Girl From Tomorrow where the whole northern hemisphere is completely wiped out after a, a huge disaster and only the southern hem hemisphere is left so that completely wipes out a load of industrial you know uh, centers and that and you've just got uh, the happy fluffy australians <laughs> left there in their green lovely bounteous paradise going oh yes we can't even remember what it was life was like before we didn't recycle <laughs> i think there's a moral there for all of us mm. yeah it's get, like if you do make it to the year 3000 then you can get like levitating headbands and stuff sorry i meant to say that in the last show <laughs> that i did about the future and i forgot <laughs> my, my favorite oh, well. example of it is this guy called who called himself titor titor which was short for time traveler and what he was was he was a f made up hoaxer he's kind of like an uber troll on the internet who created an entire fiction about him having traveled back from a glorious future where a civil nuclear war in the States had wiped out the intelligentsia elite and only the, the southern states and the people in the Midwest were left. <laughs> and it was a much better society. That sounds quite good. I, I'd read that. Well, Taking uh, fan fiction a step further. I mean, in 2008, year I, of fanfic. Have you, have you read any of the Left Behind series where, where all the holy people, all the, all the proper Christians, have gone to heaven? In the <laughs> and it's like this 50-book series about what happens on earth afterwards so you get like all the apocalypse all the kind of apocalypse porn in there you can read this knowing well it wouldn't happen to me because i'd have gone to heaven but when the great beast does attack my goodness the godless are going to get it in this <laughs> <laughs> have you read these tom no i haven't i've, I've read about there's a film apparently as well which i think um occasional freaky trigger correspondent a regular freak trigger or pete Barron may have seen so. he is a regular contributor that's right uh, I think that's enough about surviving. Uh, but I'm do feeling you want a bit my hungry. survival tip? Yeah, oh, yeah. well, maybe. It's, it's, I don't know if we do. It's very horrible. Um, Batten down the hatches, listener. No, there is... In, in book, in book two cover. of this, uh, there is a, a, a scene where one book of the characters... Book two of what? Of this, of this series, Thing. The Prince of Nothing. Um, <laughs> one of the characters survives a famine by uh, giving head and surviving on the protein... Oh, no, no. Well, I, I read an awful book like this, too. I've, I've been collecting books, you see, about Lord Byron being a vampire, and I've been doing this for a long time. 
And somebody recommended a book to me called Oh, oh, oh I can't remember it. These Lord Byron is a vampire. Yeah, yeah, hang on. There's a whole <laughs> back up, back up. No, there's a whole How genre about better? it. <laughs> Tom's <laughs> no it is that's a whole genre it's fantastic uh, but most of them are just yes he's a vampire he drinks people's blood yada yada yeah he drank blood from a skull whatever but in the beautiful women the damned women I can't quite remember Nothing anyway you don't want to read this these vampires um, survive by ex well extracting another bodily substance which is not blood let's just uh, <coughs> shall we go into a song now The chase is better than the catch. Transforming the Jews. We need your support. If you cut the press back, it's the first page of the second chapter. How it's effect on the rhythm attack. is the fish now what we actually would have liked to have played was scooters does the fish have chips and you can see where the confusion might have arisen there um does the fish have chips is uh it was featured on their most recent album uh which i'm not really sure if i should repeat on air it's okay to say orgasm on the radio i don't know anyway probably not it's quite dirty um, it was uh, one of the uh, lead singles off um, one of the lead singles yes they really they did actually release two at the same time I think anyway it was called Does the Fish Have Chips a double A side and it consisted of H.P. Uh, Baxter or Sheffield Dave as he's more commonly known the front man of Scooter shouting one question shake your hips does the fish have chips and uh, which is the lyrics from uh, an old Stump song I don't know if uh, the listeners will remember Stump uh, one a- of the as is Even how much I is do. the fish yes yeah. uh, they did a song how much is the fish uh, does the fish have chips uh, you know how much is the, the fish how much is the chips 
Does the fish have chips? I mean, you they can never see... answered, and I'm still bitter. Yeah, you can see where it's, it's called Buffalo. The, the stump song. Yes, yeah, so uh, this this like uh, searching curiosity has been like absorbed by Scooter, and they actually put those lyrics over the top of Blur's song too. And uh, someone on YouTube has actually uh, set the song to uh, um, some clips of Finding Nemo, which is Oh, I thought it was actually on Finding Nemo. No, if only it had been. Actually, on the multi-million Disney soundtrack (laughs) Finding Nemo, Scooter. Well, there are lots of random things on on mainstream films, because especially the sort of Disney Pixar ones, where they're computer-generated, computers are used by nerds, nerds like, you know, slightly obscure choices. Well, they do. And, uh, QED. I never used to like Scooter, I have to say. It used to be the, the speaking hush tones, my guilty pleasure. Oh, no. <sighs> but I actually had an epi- epiphany about Scooter. I don't have epiphanies about many bands, but I did. And it was on the dance floor of a certain club night run by uh, uh, various people that I know. And uh, I was uh, playing various delights of the, uh, the last couple of years. And they played this, a Scooter song, and I... So, oh my god, this is actually amazing. And I realised there's nothing dirty about listening to Scooter. Unless they're talking about how much is the fish, how much is the chips, does the fish have chips? Because clearly they should be having chicken instead of fish. Because, you know, to go with their dirtiness. Anyway, that's a really tenuous link there. <laughs> it uh, really, uh, really, really is. Oh, yes. I don't, fish I, now, anyway. I, I don't like eating chicken shop chicken. What chicken do you like eating? Or don't you like eating any chicken? I don't like eating chicken that has batter on it. What? It's a very loose definition of batter, the stuff you get in a fried chicken shop, I think. I had a bad experience. Um, It was about seven years ago when uh, McDonald's were doing a special offer on 20 chicken nuggets for like two quid or something. Oh, no, McDonald's chicken McNuggets are certainly not the same that you get in Southern Fried Chicken. Especially if you eat 20 of them in an effort effort to sober up. Anyway. uh, Good God, (laughs) what kind of science is that? It's carbohydrate to sober up, not protein. Yeah, but all that protein for two quid, it must have done some good. It kind of did. Um, in a in a way that I don't really want to repeat. But, Do you mean uh, it cleansed no, your no. system in a special way? Yes, and it, 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 you didn't have to say in a special way. <laughs> just said cleansed your system. It it put me off buying meat from fast food emporia for quite some time. So instead, I opted for chips as my drunken food of choice. But you're meant to have both. No, because like what if the chips? Then they're, they're you always. You wouldn't get individual pieces of chicken without the chips. Well, you, no, you would get chips. Oh, West Londoners are weird. No, we're not. We're yeah, sensible, and because possibly because there's low quality meat produce in uh, the the chicken shops that I tend to frequent, so I'll just get the chips instead. Because you always know it's going to be a safe bet. However. The ch- standard of chips does vary widely from shop to shop, I have to say. And this is the big brands and the individual shops as well. So you've really By got big to brands careful. and chicken shops, we're talking about um, your, your KFCs. Your KFC. And, I uh, think that's major label chicken. Major label, yes. And um, it's not rather than indie chicken. Indie chicken, I think, is where the heart of Lollard's is really lying. Indeed. And, and I feel like I've missed out on this somewhat. From Is, is Chicken Cottage uh, an indie still? Um, it's a franchise now. Could do it. Uh, no, lots of them are franchises. <laughs> yeah, uh, you could actually buy a franchise chicken know, cottage well, and I, open it up yourself. Yes, because there is one opening up in Mecca, chicken cottage. What? There is a branch of chicken cottage <laughs> opening in Mecca. Oh my god! 
There we are. That's my chicken cottage fact. There's a chicken cottage <laughs> very near the very studios that we're in. So it's kind of an, an enterprising branch of the chicken family. Mm, uh, very um, much so. The, well, they're all very inventive, I have to say. Uh, you might... Some listeners in the the London or uh, other inner city areas might be uh, familiar with such delights as a uh, uh, chicken chalet. Oh, as chicken. Well. don't shelly chalet. <laughs> chicken chalet. Um, let's see, hen tucky fried chicken. Muck tucky fried chicken. You can see what they tried to do with the. You know, it's the, a legal paradise. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, um, lawyer's paradise one that's very near to, <laughs> I think um, that's fine one that's very near to where I live is um, they sell both chicken uh, fried chicken and pizza so they call themselves chickpeas 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 first of all I've got to mention on a point of principle that, that that's wrong if it's a chicken shop it should just have chicken it can have chips as well it can possibly have ribs but pizza absolutely not more kebabs uh, certainly not not kebabs where do uh, you stand on burgers? If it's a chicken burger, then mm. I think it's a bit wrong. I've never, obviously, I've never had one because there's. What the if the chicken <laughs> and the cow have been best friends and did not want to be <laughs> separated even in death? Life like is cow, hard. Like cow and chicken. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't know, but um, judging by the names of this, they're like they're. I can't actually see any beef or cow product mentioned anywhere. Um, however, I've got to read a few more of these out. Marvellous fried chicken. And um, if anyone's mm. ever uh, been on a bus past the Old Street roundabout, uh, they will have gone. Uh, they will have gone past uh, FCKF, which is uh, fried chicken, kebabs, and fish. Oh, so wrong. But if you actually say it quickly, which I'm not going to, so like F F C K F, right? Write it down. <laughs> and um, um, yeah, I think there's one thing on your list which is definitely not um, a chicken emporium. Oh, what preferred pizza? Well, in, I, in what way is that a chicken shop? I well, maybe they sell chicken as well, but just didn't think to mention it. I think if chicken is your pizza, business, it's got to be. chicken. But they always end up selling chicken. Yeah, um, this list <laughs> that I'm I've getting all this from, including Carolina chicken and uh, you know Kenzie fried chicken, Kennedy fried chicken, Dubrovnik fried chicken, which I, I think is kind of pushing the. Uh, I American still want to know somewhere. where that is because yeah. apparently this Mecca. list is chicken shops. <laughs> <laughs> all oh, the, chicken all shops in the London area. All these are taken from uh, the excellent website Bad Gas. I, I, I wonder how they got that name, perhaps. Uh, but um, do any indie chicken shops do um, a sort of mega bucket style thingy? In the, in the vein of KFC? Yeah. I, I don't know because I I've never, never seen go. one. So could anyone actually recommend me a chicken shop? Only too well. Go on then. <laughs> Well, I could recommend you a dollar fried chicken who are on uh, Brixton Road. Uh, Tom, when we sh uh, lived in Mentality Towers, yeah. I believe we went there a few we times. Did, we did a few times get a dollar fried chicken. I have to say, I am a, a poptimist when it comes to chicken and do think that KFC chicken does tend to be the best. Oh, so uh, you, you, you're not... Mm, you I know. don't think their chips are as no, 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 usually I, I, not so I good. I said chicken. Ah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but know, they, they, they come. Well, I, tend to douse, the whole. I tend to douse the chips in chicken gravy with KFC. You see, yeah, which is a whole yeah. Other an indie chicken shop won't sell you chicken gravy, which no. I think is a sh uh, the worst yeah, thing uh, about them. Chicken gravy. Chicken gravy is like the auto tune in this metaphor. <laughs> 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 chicken gravy is is, is lovely, um, but so it's just like it's oxo, a really thick gravy. Chicken oxo. It's it's what people in the north will think of as gravy, but more chickeny instead of 
beefy. Okay, so is the chips actually an important factor in deciding where to go? Yes, chicken? because the chicken is so greasy that you've got to have something to counteract that and some greasy chips so it's you to do the business. <laughs> Why can't you just take it home and put it inside some br- leftover bread? Objection. Chicken comes. <laughs> chicken is ready supplied for you within a box. It's nice and sealed. You don't you should don't go home and get out of place. That'd be like Put scraping the filling out of a pie. Putting <laughs> that between some bread. But you don't eat the box. Or do you? I don't know. I'm not versed in the ways of fried chicken consumption. It, it, it depends on how many mm. light ales you've had beforehand. They should make edible chicken boxes. That would reduce wastage they, and what pre- they should prevent make the apocalypse. Is, uh, I, I genuinely don't understand. Magnus, you have a background in business, so maybe you can understand why <laughs> a free-range chicken shop mm-hmm. has not been launched in some kind of environmentally friendly bit of London mm-hmm. and made a success because you've got all these I people. Would it, would only, it would only have to open between the hours of like half ten and one at night. <laughs> That's when true. people need dirty chicken, but they want ethical dirty chicken. So they pull down some blind at the front of Planet Organic. Yeah, and it'd be like, <laughs> right, <laughs> oh, Kentucky yes, Fried please. Organic. I think the reason is that there are laws against that sort of thing. What? what? Oh, against but, treating uh, chickens well? <laughs> care, care to state uh, the relevant... Uh, but, well, you've got the stool of your Poptimus chicken and your, your rockest indie chicken, and uh, European legislation has wisely decided that that's where they should stay. Oh, fair enough. But, but does it make a, a, a difference whether it's red top or blue top? What's the difference, apart from the general colour thing? Does it have to have a picture of a chicken on the shop? No, if it's got a picture of a chicken... Well, I don't know. If it's in silhouette, I think it's OK. But if it tries to put some detail on the chicken or maybe give it a smiley face... I think <laughs> I think Bertie Roosters actually does this, which I, which I find a bit objectionable. <laughs> I, I think I prefer not to see a chicken on the outside. Anthropomorphizing your food. Nando's is a friendly chicken. It Nando's friendly. isn't. I don't really count Nando's as being a ch- chicken shop. They've got cutlery. Yeah, you right. can. Yeah, can what? you take get a takeout from Nando's? Yeah, uh, you can. Yeah, yeah. Idea. Uh, I think they're I'll, the only one that does chicken livers. Or that admits to doing chicken livers. I should perhaps say. I yeah. am so impressed with the comprehensive knowledge of everyone around here. About chicken. As right. if chicken, you yeah. don't share the knowledge. <laughs> this is why I thought I'd ask the experts here. I mean, uh, it's, there's all these questions that one has, like, uh, uh, is it morally sound to buy chicken from a, fla- uh, a shop with a Confederate flag uh, flying from the top? Is that okay? I probably wouldn't recognise a Confederate flag, to be honest, uh, not with my blurry state when I tend to go <laughs> into... Um, uh, my local chicken shop, by the way, is The Chick Inn, uh, which chick- I quite like. Oh, excellent stuff. It's very good. Um, and there's something that every chicken shop has to do, and that is sell two pieces of chicken and chips for one ninety nine. It's <laughs> got to be one ninety nine. It can't be any other price, and it's got to be two pieces and chips. What about wings? Um, <laughs> wings are 99p extra on top of that. And hot sauce? Hot sauce? What, about, you know, you need what nonsense is this? Hot sauce is good. I like hot sauce on chips. Oh, we're not talking about chips, we're talking about chicken. Yeah, but I need... Uh, the whole point is that I need a compliment to go with my chips. You can put that on at home. Okay. <laughs> Consider yourself told. Maybe I'll just go to chicken licking instead. Chicken licking? Yeah, that's one of the ones on this list here. Well, it sounds a bit too much like chicken little. Well, that would be sort of a small portion, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think the chicken shops tend to have a hierarchy. You've got KFC as your major label at the top, then your independence at the bottom, and then I tend to think that the blue and white top chicken shops are, are slightly a cut above. I don't really. I think this might be because dollar fried chicken was a was a blue top. Then you've got your your red ones, but also 
Ah, yeah, a red top is Morley's, which is a very big uh, fried chicken chain, but it only appears to be in South London. And that's where I've spent most of my time in this uh, London village. Does it have tables? Uh, they've, the, most of them have little benches. But the mm. thing about Morley's is that they do ribs with sauce. And now I, I don't like ribs and sauce. I'm, I, is it hot sauce? No idea. Hot temperature, I, I mean spicy. I just don't like the look of it, so I don't go near them. So maybe that's why I put the red tops below the blue and white tops, which don't usually tend to have them. Do you, are, you a, are you a two-piece or a three-piece? Two. Two-piece. <laughs> Two piece one ninety nine is a set deal. I, I never see a three piece. What's it? Would that be some sort of um, like uh, swimsuit business? Sorry. And on that point, <laughs> I, I'm starting to feel a bit hungry. So I think we should just get out of here whilst we still can and hope that nobody's going to attack us. Um, we've been Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. If you want to find our website where we'll talk about similar things, we can, well, well you can have a look at um, www.freakytrigger.co.uk. Um, Alan will hate me for using the www thing in there, but ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we've got Clear Spot, uh, followed at 9 o'clock by um, Middle East Panorama, 10 o'clock, uh, Philadelphia. Spelt in an interesting manner, which I approve of. Like the cheese? No, no, unlike the cheese. Oh, right. I.e. this. Um, and 11 o'clock, the 50-50 sound system. Uh, we're going to play you out with the new midweek number one, which is Free Range by The Fall. Bye. <laughs>
You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. Next up is the Clear Spot. This is going to be a repeat from last year about shrunken heads. And those uh, who are about to sit down to enjoy their dinner, please be warned. It's about, it's, it is about shrunken heads. Enjoy. <laughs> 